Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. Hello, I'm really sorry, but in the first five minutes or so of this episode, the sound quality is not the best, but it gets better and the episode is great, so keep listening. In today's episode, I am joined by Francesca Key. Frankie has the most complicated job titles I've come across, and we will come back to it in a moment, but for now, just know that throughout this episode, we will discuss the work done around data at the ONS, and we'll also touch topics such as overcoming challenges in your career, the importance of respecting diversity, as well as getting some tips for career progression. Having started her career in the private sector, Frankie joined the ONS in January 2010. Frankie, I don't feel like my introduction would be reflective of the amazing work you're doing at the ONS. Can you please help me out by telling us a bit more about yourself, what you do, and most importantly, what does Interim Deputy National Statistician and Director General for Data Capability means? Yes, of course. Um, yes, it is one of the longest job titles uh, ever, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, perhaps just yes, to go back a, a little bit, um, I've worked uh, in IT and data related program uh, delivery uh, fields for oh, about 30, over 30 years now. Um, and I spent, as you, you said, I spent the first uh, 20 years or so in the private sector working for a variety of different organizations, um, including Virgin Mobile, um, but very much in that um, data IT, digital uh, business, IT um, enabled change, which is something I'm really passionate about. Um, so I joined ONS um, uh, just over 10 years ago, um, and I've done a variety of different roles. Um, I started um, in uh, looking after the IT portfolio, so running all of our IT uh, programs and projects um, and then uh, moved into a different roles in terms of leading some of our larger programs so um, I've run our uh, economic statistics transformation program and that was one where um, we were very much looking at how can we use different data to help bring better uh, insight into um, the economy so for example understanding what's happening much more in the financial sector to try and address some of the issues that came in 2008 when we didn't see that coming um, and then my last role um, was um, running the census transformation program. So getting everything ready um, for the 2021 census. Um, but very much as part of that is also looking at um, how we might run censuses very differently in the future. Um, so rather than running the traditional census, looking at all the data that's already available across government and in the private sector, so that we don't have to go out and run um, um, that census every 10 years so that we've got data uh, ready and available in a much more timely um, way. 
Um, so my current role, um, which I've been in for about a year, is, um, as I say, is looking after uh, data capability. So uh, it's very much about how can we make the most out of data and technology um, in terms of providing insight and um, statistics, data analysis, so that we can really understand what's going on in our society and what's going on in our economy, particularly in those cross-cutting systemic issues. So things like COVID at the moment, but also um, global warming, ageing, um, levelling up, which um, was something the government was interested in. And um, so, <laughs> although it's slightly been overtaken by events. Um, so within that role, it, um, I have three main areas. So one is looking after our data science campus, which is a fan fantastic, fascinating area, looking at new data sources, new techniques, really making the best out of data science. Um, I look after our digital services and technology, and also our methods, data, and research. And that area is looking about how can we bring in new and different data sources um, to help provide insight, and also looking at the statistical methodologies um, in terms of um, how do we make use of administrative data. So that's quite a long answer, but I hope that <laughs> provides some insight. It does provide a lot of insight. Um, what attracted you to the public sector? It's a really good question. Um, I, I think um, I'd enjoyed my time in the um, private sector, but I think I'd got to a point of um, not wanting to work just around uh, making others money. It's very important. So we need um, entrepreneurs, we need uh, businesses to be very successful. But I felt for me personally, I wanted to do something different. I really wanted to do a role where what we did really mattered and it matched my values. And that's why I love working for the ONS. Um, it's very much about how can we provide data? How can we provide um, analysis to decision makers, be they in government, central or local, businesses, citizens, um, really providing that information so people can make better, better decisions, better policy, evaluate those decisions and policies. Um, so that was what attracted me. Um, I will confess, before I applied to ONS, I'd never heard of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little embarrassing, um, especially because my father was a statistician. So, um, but I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't heard of it. But once I'd applied, I just saw the name in lots of different places. And obviously, at the moment, you can see ONS is it's just been quoted, uh, you know, providing so much data for the government's response. So having the privilege to be able to do that, um, I, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess now you've been there for a while. So even if you hadn't heard of it before, you've made up for it. Don't worry. <laughs> so... The ONS now, you spoke about the different teams you, you're managing. Do you have an example of a project they've worked on? Yes. So, um, so a really current example is um, ONS is partnering um, with Oxford University um, to do um, a serology study. So this is the study you may have heard about in the press um, where we are working with partners to collect data, um, swabs and blood samples as well to try and understand about the spread of COVID across the country at the moment. And that has involved a range of different teams. So, so some the, di the digital and technology teams in terms of setting the survey and the technology up, um, our uh, methodology in terms of designing the, uh, the survey and the sample for the survey, 
um, uh, our other teams in terms of bringing in that data, processing that data, and then making it available in um, what we call our secure research service, which is um, a, a, an environment where researchers can come in and get access to the data. And then also our data scientists who can use that data and help understand what's happening. So that's a sort of example where it's really cross-cutting across the areas. Other examples would be, um, so one of the things we've been doing again with COVID is understanding social distancing. So we've been working with Google data, using data science to understand, looking at different places, parks, transport hubs, shops, local areas, really understanding um, where, where people are, were congregating and understanding the effectiveness of, of social distancing. Um, so that's another example of, of the types of things that, that we do. So it's really about getting data in, processing it, understanding it, linking it with other data sources to really provide that richness um, so that others can, uh, and ourselves included, can analyze and provide uh, that insight. Yeah, it, it sounds like with um, COVID-19, you had to put quite a lot of projects on hold and then shift the priorities and get things out of the door pretty quickly. How did that happen? That's very true. Um, so through very hard work from a lot of my teams, for which I'm very, very grateful for. Um, but it did show just the speed at which that ONS actually was be able, to, uh, able to react, but it was very much around sort of partnerships. So one of the things that um, still is quite tricky within um, across government is trying to get access to data. So I've talked a lot about wanting to bring data together, but that's not easy to do. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons why um, we were so successful was because we were able to partner not just with um, with other government departments, but actually with, in some instances, with private sector as well. Um, and that's where I think it made a big difference. So we kind of changed from a culture of, of perhaps being reluctant to share to one that's saying, right, you know, we've got this major crisis on our hand. How do we deal with it? And how can we work together um, and share data, share expertise, share staff? Um, so there was a lot of breaking down of silos, barriers, um, and it's been quite phenomenal. And I really hope that um, after this situation that we can, can carry on and continue with, with those types of ways of working rather than reverting back to the more slower and trickier <laughs> ways that we were working before. So, uh, so I think it's really that partner, it's partnership collaboration that I think has been the biggest difference. Sounds like a, a grid of positivity coming from this very, very uh, ugly situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, that's very, a very accurate way of describing it. Yeah, and um, before the, the COVID-19, uh, you, you did mention trying to improve things and then bringing databases together. What was the, the work that was done there? Um, so again, it's quite a, a sort of range of different uh, projects that we've done. Um, but one um, example of, uh, of where we did, we brought different data sources together for the first time was when we brought um, health um, and mental health records and we linked that to, to education records for students to understand um, and get more insight into student suicide, which is obviously something that is, you know, something that we want to try and support students and, and, and help with their well-being. Um, so we were able to provide that insight. 
obviously in a, an anonymous and safe way, I want to make it very clear that the data that we, uh, that we bring together and provide analysis is always anonymous and we keep that data securely. It's very important for us. But that meant that we were able to provide evidence to people designing policy and they were able to secure funding in order to put uh, money into programs to, to help students in universities. Um, so that's one example, um, which actually genuinely um, could, has the potential to save lives. This is probably uh, a really strong example of, you know, when you were saying that you wanted to do something different and that's why you moved to the public sector. So that's probably one of the best examples, I would say. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's that direct that direct connection and and i think as uh, i love working in in technology and data but sometimes what we do is a little bit less direct than say frontline you know medical staff or teachers or but this just goes to show what how important what we do is um, and how if you can unleash that power of data um, we really can make a difference to people's lives and and that definitely helps me get up in the morning <laughs> yeah that's very inspiring uh frankie you mentioned that your dad was a statistician is that how you got into data not not really because unfortunately my father died away died when i was quite young so oh, when i when i was uh, no not at all um when i was a teenager um, and interesting i came come from a family my mother's a doctor um, my father was a statistician my elder sister is electrical and electronic engineer so I came from a very maths and science um background but um, uh, when I was at school, I, uh, I particularly enjoyed history. I do, I do actually have a maths A-level and an economics um, A-level, but I then went into and did a degree in politics. So uh, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I ended up sort of falling into IT a little bit, I will be honest. Um, it was back in the 80s. It was like, what do I do next? I like finding out about things. I do quite like analysing that sort of uh, politics background in terms of, of you know, analysing different sources. So I ended up a little bit in IT, but then I found I really thoroughly um, enjoyed it. Um, and I've done different roles in, in IT. But one of the ones I think that got me into data, I ended up doing data analysis and data modelling. And I can still do third normal form. Anybody wants to give a logical data model? I'm, I'm your person. Um, <laughs> I still remember how to do that. And again, it was just the data sort of forms the glue, the language that, that we talk in. And I remember when I was doing IT systems that um, when you're analyzing data, in, mo in lots of industries, you can see that the data that is used um, almost 100 years ago, in some instances, it's very, it's very similar. You can see those patterns and it underpins what we do. And I always thought if you build your your information systems or your digital systems, you need to get the data understood and, and almost correct before you then build the technology on top of it. So that was where I kind of felt that, that data uh, was something that could really is is very powerful and underpins pretty much everything that we do. But uh, but it is like it's, you know with with my father, it's ironic because we would have both ended up working for the Office for National Statistics because uh, he would have ended up working there. He was a he was a government statistician, and I think if you'd asked him which of his three daughters would have ended up in a statistical office, it was not to be me. Particularly when we were having rows over um, how to do quadratic equations. <laughs> <laughs> simultaneous <laughs> equations which to him to to me were very difficult to him was like adding two and two he he, uh, he definitely uh, understood data in a way that perhaps I still don't <laughs> <laughs> 
I love how different people uh, find their way into data from completely different paths. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, no, it is because even, you know, in my politics degree, obviously what you're doing is you're looking at data, you're looking at evidence, you're looking for understanding and, and that's data uh, uh, in a way as well. So, yes, pretty much you can't, I don't think there's anything you do really that doesn't involve data in, in one way or another. Yeah, especially nowadays. <laughs> yes, especially nowadays. Yes, where it's just all over, all over the world. <laughs> Frankie, I would like to talk about uh, challenges you've encountered in your career. Do you do you have any examples and tips? So I think I, I often describe my career as, as, as lumpy, so which might sound a slightly uh, strange uh, phrase. And I I think I've had periods in my career where it's felt quite static for some for some time. So and there are different reasons for that. Uh, I, I had uh, when I had my two children that you know juggling small children I was working for a consultancy company so you're working in different clients so potentially with the pressure to to work away from home so you have to make decisions about what works for you and your family my husband um, was away a lot as well so at that point I would say you know when the children were very young that my career I chose to to work part-time and it is difficult to carry on with the kind of career progression um, in that period. And if you're working in consultancy, when you're basically saying, I will work, I can only do assignments that are close to home, it obviously limits your options. So I felt that it was important for me uh, to move to a different organization. And I went and worked for Virgin Mobile and loved that. Uh, that's probably as much, I love ONS, but Virgin Mobile runs it a very uh, close second. And, and I found part of that was because I liked the the culture of the organization. I liked its values. And I found for me that when my values match my organization's values, it's, you know, it comes together and, and, it, and I find I've, uh, I've been more successful. But I have had periods where it's been more difficult. I worked for another organization um, in 2008 that was funded by Lehman Brothers, and it was a very difficult period. Having said that, I learned a huge amount about resilience. <laughs> and that's something, a definite tip, build your resilience up before you need it. But, but and I came out of that role feeling, do you know, I'm not sure I'm going to go much further in my career. I wanted to go and work in an organization that had better work life balance that had that better meaning. And I hit ONS and my career is absolutely accelerated again. Um, so I think my tip would be, if you feel like you're in a bit of a flat period, don't worry, over worry about it. Yes, you need to do something positive to try and come out of it but I think it happens to everybody and what's quite very important is you need those periods of consolidation if you sometimes feel people that they just seem to zoom and accelerate through very 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 fast but you don't ever have a time to kind of absorb and really take all of that on and you can come unstuck so I would say don't worry keep going and often those uh, those opportunities will come try and work for an organization which matches your value I know we don't always have that choice um, and make sure you've got that kind of resilience networks both within your organization but equally important outside your organization so that when you go through those tough times that we all do and definitely and even at ONS I had one project for 18 months that was just a disaster <laughs> it was just awful uh, it just goes to you know no career is smooth well I don't think so we all have our ups and downs just just carry on you know focus on the positives learn from the from the negatives move on 
I give that advice. I can focus too much on the negatives myself at times, but but try not to learn and, and move on. Um, let it go. Occasionally, I sit in my car on the way from home when I've had a belting out. To let it go from frozen, just to try and get it out of my system. <laughs> Oh I'm sure that's I a great tip for everybody but <laughs> I just I just pictured you in the car with the song and then singing like crazy I love this <laughs> yes I think people driving past me might think I was a little bit strange <laughs> uh, you you mentioned that so you wanted after the the complicated moment you had in 2008 you wanted to have a better life balance do you think it's possible to have a good life balance and also progress in your career at the same time? Yes, I, I, you, you can. I mean, it's not easy. I'm not going to lie. I think, and that's when it comes down to trying to find the right organisation if you can. And if I'm honest, being in the public sector, that that can be they they can be uh, a perhaps a bit more understanding. But that's not true across the whole of the public sector. In certain roles, particularly if I imagine what they're doing in Number Ten and Cabinet Office, um, some of the you know they are working as long an hours as, as anybody else so I do I do think you can I think there's about having um, a discipline about it understanding your kind of limits in terms of what you can are able to to give and uh, whether you've you know if you've got caring responsibilities not just children it can be really really difficult so it's about being being focused and being organized really trying to understand what is uh, really important um, and what the priorities are so that you focus your energy on those. But one thing I would say is you still need to invest in, um, I, don't, I don't particularly like the term networking, but you do still need to invest in building up relationships. And it's very easy when you're pushed for time to, to, for that to be the optional that goes. I don't think that's the case. I think building those relationships up both for your own resilience, but also to help you be a more effective leader um, because you only do deliver frequently through those relationships. Um, so don't, uh, so do carry on investing, investing in those. I think that's really important. Um, and I have, I mean, I, you know, I, they've, the times of my career have slowed a little, but they've not always been when, wasn't always when the children were young. So, I, you know, and I did still, had some progression uh, during that period but it's uh, it's not it's not easy but yes I think you can do it. Thank you and we did just touch career progression and having a good work-life balance but what would you say is um, the most important aside from the networking which you just yeah. mentioned <laughs> what do you think is important in finding success and happiness in your career? So one of the uh, most important things is being really authentic. I think one of the things that can sap energy um, in a workplace is if you're trying to be somebody else. And there's enough complications and enough stress um, at work <laughs> without trying to be somebody that you think others want you to be. So I think being authentic and um, being yourself um, is, is most important. I think in terms of so those energy levels, that's important. But staff know, your, your colleagues know. Most people can, can really feel um, if, if they feel that you're playing a role. So being authentic, being mindful and respectful and, and trying to think about how you build relationships. You can do that in different ways. So I'm quite an extrovert. Others are introverts, so being mindful of that so that you don't 
overwhelm um, people and give them time to speak so that you make sure you get that inclusion those diversity of voices which is something that is also fundamental to to my leadership as well but if you don't do that in an authentic way if you don't live being being inclusive you don't live being um divert you know wanting diversity of thought people will uh, will really pick up on that so so I try to do that every day because otherwise I think I'd just be exhausted. <laughs> so it's kind of both, it's a, both a self-preservation, but it also absolutely makes you a much more effective leader as well. Yeah, I'm nodding yes, because I, I can definitely relate to that. I've spent many, many years trying to be who other people wanted me to be and well, who I thought other people wanted me yeah. to be and feeling really, really bad about it with a peak I would say maybe a couple of years ago that resulted in me reconsidering how I was seeing my career how I was seeing my life and just me trying to be someone else was Mm -hmm. just had a massive impact on on the work I was producing not the work I was producing but how I was coming across in the office and that meant that it was maybe stopping me from progressing and feeling fulfilled but I think, so you're an extrovert, I'm an introvert. And I feel like we live in a society that is not introvert friendly. Yeah. Uh, and th- this would be one of the reasons that was pushing me to be someone different. And then I read a, a book that changed all this. So it was Secret Thoughts of Successful Women from Dr. Valerie Young. and. I think that covered, okay, so who I am and then why I'm like this and why I should embrace being myself. And I went from being completely invisible to being, I want to say, the go-to person in the organization just because I went from trying to be someone else to just being, okay, this is who I am, so this is what you're getting. (laughs) And it made such a big difference in my life. Well, yeah, and uh, I'm glad it has done it. It absolutely does, I think. And I think it's something that I do think is exclusive to women, but I do think women tend to, perhaps tend to suffer, if that's the right word, from that more. Um, But it's not just that. I think it's about, I mean, I think that's why inclusion and diversity is so important. You just, you need to be you to work you know whatever whatever you means um and we should all respect that and it's different for for everybody else and i think and it's just little things like you know understanding who are the introverts in the room and just giving them space at times so because they won't necessarily i think out loud that's how i do that's why i'm finding the shutdown really difficult i get my energy from people um you know i people talk about putting time aside to think strategically that is my idea of hell lock me in a room make me and want me to think just quietly it's just like no I love to talk things through but that's not everybody and it's really important that in order to get the best out of everyone that you respect that and for introverts to give them that time to process and to reflect and boy do you get amazing insight and you'll get such a better outcome if if we respect how others work so yeah I, I think it is about being being true to yourself and 
Are you, you know, you have to be, you can't be entirely naive. That would be the only thing I said. I think blurting every thought in your head out, which is what I probably did in my 20s, isn't necessarily being authentic. It's probably being a bit silly. So, <laughs> so, um, and, you know, in my career right at the beginning, it took a little while to get going. And I think part of that was because I was just a bit too just every thought, you know, coming straight out. So you've got to be sensible about these things. But if you try to uh, change who you are, uh, it doesn't do you any good and it won't do your organisations any good. They will be much more successful of, of having you as you because because we are all excellent in, in our own ways. So, uh, and it's about a leader is trying to bring all of that together, all of those individual excellences in a way that comes up with a much stronger and better outcome because you've just seen things from so many different perspectives. Thank you, Frankie. I feel like we could be chatting for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, Frankie. Uh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you would like to register to the community, all you need to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. It's free and easy. Please feel free to share the link with anyone you think would benefit from being part of the community. You can also follow us on social media, so LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. We would love to hear from you and have some feedback that will help us enhance the content and bring the guests you want to hear from. Have a great day.